Hello and welcome to this week's edition of The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge Television, brought to you by our great friends at Ditchwich. Bass Edge Television is on the Wild TV Network in Canada and the World Fishing Network, and we'll be back on the Versus Network starting in January of 2009. Outdoors Dan here, along with uh, the host of Bass Edge Television, Mr. Aaron Martin. Aaron, what's going on, buddy? Hey, it's just uh, good to be back on the air with you, Dan. Yeah, it's been a couple weeks. So we got a good guy uh, on the show this week, and, you know, if you're from the Midwest, you cannot not know the name of Guido Hibden. Yeah, and it's not only just from the mid- Midwest, but, you know, the guy is certainly uh, has a resume uh, longer than what we care to uh, to mention. But, um, you know, that's transferred over into his son and now into his grandchildren. Yeah, it's kind of neat to see a tradition going on like there. After that, we're going to have a great Inside Ed segment. We're going to answer an email question. And uh, what else we got going on before we get out of here today? We'll have uh, some questions and a lot of great information. Well, let's just get to it. You ready? Yeah, I am. All right, folks. It's all right here for you on The Edge. You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge. Brought to you in part by Ditch Witches On. Experience the revolution. Uh oh, look here. I got one. I got one. Look here. <laughs> I mean, he whacked that football jig. The blades will dictate a lot of times the speed of the retrieve or the depth of that bait. Oh, good fish. Good fish. Did you see him come off that log? Woo, look at that son of a gun, man. That's awesome. You know, you've got to just stay active. Fishing is not easy. Oh, man, that's a toad. This is unbelievable. Boy, I tell you what, a lot of stuff going on. It's summer. Boy, it is, Dan. And, you know, uh, real quick before we drop right into it, I just want to wish you a happy anniversary. I know we just celebrated your one-year anniversary with Bass Edge. And then also I think you've been busy because your uh, Outdoors Tradition TV just made its second debut on uh, Fox Sports Midwest. Yeah, second season already. I can't believe that. And You know, that's five years doing TV and two years having my own show. And it just goes by so quick, Aaron. It, it does, and it's almost kind of like a hurry up and wait. You ever get that feeling, you know, like you just get one season done, you got to start all over again. You don't even really get to enjoy it too much. No, it's anticlimactic, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, but no, things are good. Actually, I uh, I get a couple weeks off here before I start filming some hunts again. And uh, we're, actually, we're going to go out and do a little deer scouting. But I actually got to do some fishing on Monday. When I was on your radio show or the weekend, you, you had talked about you were to try out kind of some new baits did you do that yeah you know you and i and i i got your advice on that and you know i i've been fishing 38 39 years now and it's just it's for some reason i don't know if it's because i'm just an idiot or what but it just seems when we get into summer i like going littler than bigger on lures and, and just slowing everything down a little bit and i was using those two inch power worms that i told you about our power minnows mm-hmm. and i just put it on a little uh 32nd ounce jig head, and I was just uh, using 8 to 10 pound fluorocarbon line on a spinning combo. And Aaron, I I know I was catching, I know I caught 25 uh, for sure. I know I caught 25. I might have caught 27, but I'm going to stick with the 25. And they were in the pound and and a half to two pound range. Nice fish. Yeah, but still, I mean, that to me, uh, if you can have a day like that, I I don't care how big they are. Yeah, and you know, I was finding most of them in 8 to 10 feet of water. Wow. Yeah, I was just fishing parallel to the bank and I didn't bring the boat because we've had so much rain in Iowa. Everything's so muddy. I just went and walked the banks, and it was a little easier to do that. But you know what? I was fishing, and I got to an area, and I knew there was brush piles in there, and I would fish from 9 o'clock till 3 o'clock, casting at 9, 10, 11, 12, 1, 2, and 3. And I just covered the area as much as I could, and then I went on. But, yeah, every other cast, I was, I was getting a bite. Well, and that's a great technique, you know, doing that fan cast, uh, especially, you know, whether you're on the bank or even in your boat, you can really saturate the area and make sure that, uh, you know, that, that you're picking it apart and presenting every opportunity that you can. 
Yeah, the, I think the only thing I didn't do was probably I didn't try and leave it on the bottom as much as I probably should have because I think you told me when we get into the tea, we've had 88, 90 degree weather. You know, the fish become lethargic. They're trying to save as much energy as possible before they're you know you get bed. And I think if I would have left it on the bottom a little longer, I would have. Probably caught a little bit more, but I mean, I can't gripe. I had a great day on the water. Well, and the other thing is, too, you know, of course, you don't know that until you try, but as much runoff and as rain as what you guys have had in the area that you've been fishing, chances are, you know, the the cooler water may be still at, towards the top. It might not have had a chance to actually warm up and, and get as hot as what it normally does this time of year. Yeah, it was crazy. I, I didn't catch anything on top water. Everything was in that 8, 10 feet, and yeah, that jig, I let it hit the bottom, and then I just start, you know, bouncing it and retrieving it. And, let it fall and usually after that second time I'd, I'd lower that rod tip and let it fall that's when i got hit yeah well you know hopefully i'm going to get to get out and try some of that myself this week but the the problem is we've got uh, really a busy couple weeks coming up oh yeah i know and i'm really happy for you man you you guys are really getting into this nascar stuff <laughs> yeah well we're fortunate you know uh, of course o'reilly and superstart uh, being one of our sponsors uh, we get to go uh, to a lot of the the races on the tracks that they sponsor and that's exactly what's going to take place uh, coming up here on the 18th and 19th of July. We'll be there at the, really at the nationwide uh, NASCAR race. Uh, we'll have the Bass Edge truck and boat set up in the O'Reilly booth. Uh, so if, if you happen to be there at the race, make sure you stop by and see us. We're going to be giving away all kinds of free stuff, T-shirts, that type of thing. Yeah, you know, and a lot of other things going on, too. you got that FLW thing going up in Detroit, up in Lake Erie. I know there's a lot of smallmouth being caught oh, up there. Oh, I know, I know. I, I cannot wait to talk to Sean and some of the guys up there and, and see how they're doing. And, uh, you know, the, the, the worst thing, I guess, is that perhaps somebody might be getting a little motion sickness, but I think that's totally overshadowed by the quality of fish that they're probably catching. Oh, that's, that's some big water, man. It I'll is some big water. And, you yeah. know, and then the, the BASS guys, of course, they are on break and really until the 28th, but then they head to a different part of Erie, which is over in Buffalo. Yeah, good smallmouth uh, water there, too. Tremendous fisheries, both of them. So, and then you going to Vegas, huh? Well, actually, I am not this year. I, I've just got some conflict in schedule with, with some of our filming and that. Unfortunately, I am not going to be out there, but uh, there's going to be a lot of people out there that I know and anxious to hear the feedback. You know, that's that's kind of the uh, major. I don't know if ICAST is going to be the same. I know, I know. I, I tell you, I always look forward to going out there and seeing all the new products and the and the things that are coming out and catching up with, with uh, good friends and that. But uh, this year, I'm not going to be able to go. So. Well, that's all right. Yeah. Hey, and real quickly, too, I know everyone at uh, the home office wanted us to tell everyone, if you're going to send email questions, please put that under Ask the Pros section. Uh, just go to formally staff at BassEdge.com. It's now Ask the Pros. Is that correct? That is correct. That is correct. And then, so is it Ask the Pros at BassEdge.com? Well, it's it's actually, if you just, there's a section on there that you can click, and a form comes up. It's a, it opens in your web browser. You type uh-huh. in your question. You type in your contact information. Everything is right there. You don't even have to do an email anymore. It takes care of everything for you, and that makes sure that, and ensures that we're able to get the prizes and stuff like that sent out. So it's, well, that's uh, awesome. Yeah, very, very easy. That's so. easy. Well, I tell you what, we got to get going. Uh, we got to get to our angler interview, and this week it's going to be Guido Hibden. So, uh, without further ado, Aaron, let's go do that. We got to take a break, but we'll be right back here on the edge. Give any type of boat the edge with MegaWare Keel Guard. It's simple to install, and we can now beach our boat anywhere. If you own a boat, you need one of these. MegaWare Keel Guard protects the keel of your boat from sand abrasion, from underwater obstructions, even concrete boat ramps. Kit started under $140. And best yet, it's guaranteed to keep on protecting for life. Thanks, MegaWare KeelGuard. Thanks, MegaWare KeelGuard.
Welcome back to The Edge, brought to you in part by Ditch Witches Zon, establishing a new standard in trencher power and versatility. All right, we are back on The Edge, and joining us for this week's Angler Spotlight is a man who is a veteran, by all means, has a Bassmaster Classic champion, two Angler of the Year titles, and uh, six FLW championship finishes, and that is Mr. Guido Hibden. Guido, thanks so much for being part of the edge. Oh, it's my pleasure, that's for sure. Well, uh, you know, we're kind of uh, in the midst of, of summer here, Guido, and, and one of the things that I know that has worked for you down through the years and, and really that you have perfected, and that is the topic of fishing docks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah, I hear you're, you're kind of chuckling there because you know how many fish that you've probably taken off of docks down through the years. Lots of One of the questions, I guess, perhaps, it, because I know that's a broad topic for the time that we have to cover here, but, right. you know, is, is that something that you only key on on, you know, certain times of the year? Well, if it's a place like Lake of the Ozarks where we call this the Lake of the Docks, uh, there's fish live around docks all the time. And uh, that's, uh, there's been ways to make it easier, and I'm going to start this off by telling you the very easiest way. I don't know how many of you own the hummingbird that's got the side finder on it, but trust me, that is, without a doubt, I hated it whenever it first came out because <laughs> I knew it was going to find a lot of our stuff. And, uh, and without a doubt, I mean, rather than set and make a big, long story out of this, the hummingbird side finder or side imaging unit that that that'll make you a better fisherman right there now the things that we use are the biggest majority of the time either small worms or little tiny jigs and and it's pretty simple after that but but they live under docks all the time so it's not really just a you know as you travel across the country um are docks always a factor for you is that something that you always look at Sure. I mean, I might be hooked on it a little too much at times, but I have proved way too many times that no lake that we ever go to, I mean, I've never ever fished a lake that you couldn't catch some around docks. Now, you might not catch enough sometimes to win a tournament, but it, it will play a factor in any tournament that we fish anywhere in the country. And also just from a recreational, you know, angling standpoint, you know, anglers that are out here, uh, traveling from lake to lake, trying to you know sure. just kind of perfect their system. I mean, that's a good area to go to in your you opinion. Bet. I mean, and some of the, you know, some of the very best places around docks are those that are so heavily used. I mean, and what I'm talking about is a lot of you know tourist traffic around them. You know, that turns a lot of people off. You know, they won't get in and around where there's a lot of them big boats and what have you, or jet skis or anything, and. Uh, Trust me, that is where some of the very biggest bass that there is lives because they never get messed with for the most part. So in your opinion, I, I know you're, you're an avid uh, hunter and, and like kind of an outdoorsman. Do you feel that fish are the same way that, let's say, deer are, that they get accustomed to you know, the traffic? Let's sure say? they do. I, we moved away from the lake, I mean, just because it becomes such a hassle for us. I mean, we never got any rest, and, and I thank God for the public. I'm glad they do like me that much, but, <laughs> but it was, it, it ended up being a hassle living right on the lake. But whenever we lived there, I had two big docks that sat side by side, and I almost had those fish around there named. I mean, they could, when I slammed the door or come out and I first started walking on the dock, those son of a guns would come out and look at me and 
and you can you can make you a spot that's for sure i fed them a little bit and what have you and everything but it was uh, of course now as some of these guys was having them little local tournaments i'd have to go down and run them off <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, yeah it, it is i mean any docks you know a lot of these places you can't fish mm-hmm. you know they have signs up and they are government controlled mm-hmm. And you don't want to get around them. But, I mean, for the most part, as long as you don't get hung up on their ropes and break off and and really hit their boats or their docks with uh, jigs or worms, it ain't no big deal. They won't bother you. But sure. uh, trust me, I mean, they do get a little testy if you get in there. And night fishing, you want to be careful because people don't like you messing around their docks at night. So uh, I'm just telling you ahead of time, it, it gets a little testy there sometimes. Sure. Well, and it's about respect. You know? Yeah. That's it. That's exactly it. Now, are in your opinion, are all docks created equal? You know, no, <laughs> no, absolutely not. I mean, uh, you know, in the early part of the year, like say from March till oh, through spawn time, I mean, fish will be on the as a rule, not all the time, but as a rule, they'll be on the back half of the dock under ramps and uh, the back corners of them. And that's what I was saying about the side imaging deal of hummingbirds. You can get in there and you can find what is under there. You know, if there's a brush pile or a turned over lawn chair or something like that in there, it shows you everything that there is there. And that's, as a rule, that's when the fish are going to be there. As you get on just a little bit past spawn, fish come up and they float right underneath the foam on those docks or the big, uh, whatever the floats are on the docks, they get right underneath them. And then you have to use different baits, like a fluke or, you know, a little top water or something like that thrown along the side of them. Now, in the summertime, that's when you want to move out and get on the out ends of them and look for the brush and stuff like that around. Do, does it take brush to have one under it? No, it absolutely doesn't. It's a location then. But brush, the biggest majority of the time, is uh, is a big key factor in catching fish around them. And uh, in the fall, then again, they get right up under them, and that's when you run a spinner bait or something like that. But I still throw little jigs and little worms and stuff like that around them and catch a lot of fish. You know, one of the things that I've often heard, especially uh, for lakes and reservoirs and, and even rivers that, that have a tremendous amount of docks, is that, you know, it, it can be intimidating. And a lot of times that, you know, the advice is to basically fish the body of water as if the docks weren't there, just like you would a grass line or a topography. Can you shed a little light on that? Well, and what you're saying is, uh, let's say the summertime, you're you're not going to catch very many big fish in a cove. And and what I'm saying there, back in a, a pocket or something like that, biggest majority of them will be either to the point, around docks, around the point, or on the outside, on the main channel itself. Now, in the spring, you're going to go back, and you sometimes they're in the very furthest docks that go back. Understanding the seasonal and how fish move is a big key to it. You know, in spring, biggest majority of the time, they're in the backs, and they start filtering out in the summertime. And then in the early fall, then they're on shallower points. And in the fall, then a lot of times they will get right out on the main channel, the very deepest docks that there is. And you're not fishing on the bottom then. Those fish will suspend up under those docks. And that's when a fluke or, uh, you know, some of these swim baits that they got now and stuff like that really come into play. Well, is there, you know, talking about the, the kind of the differences between docks, let's say, on any given body of water, 
What about the difference between docks and, and as far as how they're constructed, per se, like, you know, the capsulated foam or the floating docks mm -hmm. versus a stationary dock? Right. Well, the very best dock is a dock that has those big float, you know, that they float uh, hydro hoist or right. whatever they are, that's got the hoist in them. Now, is there an easy way to catch those fish out of them? Uh, not really. I mean, it's uh, become a real good caster or skipper where you can make the right cast. And I suggest, I mean, I, there's a lot of people that's against braided line, I mean, for sure. But Trilene makes, I mean, now they own about all the very best braided line that there is. And we use a stealth braided line, and I don't use the green at all. I use a yellow, and then we color it. We take a marks a lot pen and color about 10 feet of it. But then you can use 30-pound line where you used to have to use 10-pound line with monofilament or fluorocarbon. And you can actually get the fish out of there. I mean, you can land most every fish. Where before you couldn't do that, you broke off so darn much with monofilament. But they do get in the darkest part of that dock. I mean, whatever the darkest part is, you can look at it when the sun's out, pick the darkest part on it, and biggest majority of the time, that's where you'll get your bite at. That's when they're suspended. Now, when they're in brush and stuff like that, then it really doesn't make any difference. You know, they might be on the outside of the dock or on the edge, or you might have to, you know, that's where the hummingbird deal comes in. It will show you which cast to make. Now, you might not fish it right then, but come back in uh, 15 minutes. Make that right cast under that dock. Become a good caster. That's how you catch more fish. Well, and, and speaking of, of casting, you touched on something um, a little bit earlier there when you said about skipping. Now, are you targeting these fish with a cast reel, a spinning reel, or, you know, are you flipping or pitching to them? What's the, can you describe the difference perhaps between the flipping, pitching, well, and then the skipping? Well, the biggest majority of the time I use a spinning rod. Now, Dion, he can do it. He's got a little old cast that he does. <laughs> I don't know how he does it. I mean, him and one of his twin boys can do it. I've tried to make myself learn how to do it, and I, I've, you know, I'm 62 years old, and I still <laughs> don't know how, but, but he makes it look so easy, and he can hit a two-inch crack, you know, between those foam and, and make it go back under the dock. But I do it with a spinning reel, you know, and uh, can you do it every day? Some days you have good days where you can make every cast count. The next day you'll think, my God, you know, I forgot everything that I ever knew, you know, but that's part of it. You know, just learn how to get out and practice. I mean, uh, just pick you a dock and practice. That, that's how you'll catch more fish. Making the right cast does make a difference. And, and the skipping that you're referencing is actually, it's, it's kind of like skipping a rock, right? Yeah, it's just, I mean, like taking a flat rock. I mean, we've got a few little jigs that we make and little worms that, you know, you have to understand that we, say the little worm. I mean, we use a Lucky Strike five-inch worm. It's a little needle-looking worm. And we use a very lightweight, either a 32nd, 16th, or a 1-8th, and uh, it'll skip. When you make your skip with a spinning rod, the last thing that you do, you throw sidearm, and the braided line, like I said, is the best to do it with because you'll have less line problems. But you raise the tip of your rod just as it touches the water, and that'll make it kind of just float right across the top. Jigs, I mean, we use a lot of 16th and 8th. I mean, if you ask a crowd, you know what size jig they use, biggest majority of the time it's a quarter or heavier. But we use a 16th and an 8th a lot, and that, uh, that lets that fish get it on the way to the bottom. Biggest majority of the time, we do it with a baby Guido bug. We got a new bug out now that even works better because its bottom of it's flatter, and it just skips 
perfect. I mean, around docks and what have you. But there's a number of baits. I mean, Dion, he can do it with a topwater bait, you know, skipping another there, a little old popper. But it's uh, just all in, I mean, a fluke. Uh, one thing, a fluke skips real good. Sure. And a lot of times, you know, you can pitch that fluke under there and work it two or three times, and you'll get the god-awfulest bite you ever had. <laughs> I mean, they'll jerk slack clean through your line. Now, back to what you talked about with uh, the worm that you're using. Are you putting that on a jig head, or is that a nope. bullet sinker? Well, you can do both. You can either put it on a little uh, light jig head, you know, a shaky worm head, or you can Texas rig it. A lot of times we do it with a Texas rig because you actually get, I think you get a better hookup and better catch ratio with a, you know, a little Texas rig worm. Now a jig, I mean, uh, there again, the same head that we use in, a, in our shaky head worms, we use in our jig. I mean, basically, and uh, they both work great. I mean, uh, we use a little football more than we do, you know, just a round ball head or something like that. We use a little tiny football. Do you still go with the, the lighter weights, even if you're targeting yep. fish that's on yep. the bottom? Yeah, well, except whenever you're, you know, like in the summertime, I mean, whenever they get in that 25 and 30 foot of water around brush, and then you can use, I mean, you're just going to have to go to, you know, you might go up as much as a three-eighths or a half ounce you know, on some of your baits. You're, you're not doing the same thing. We catch a lot of suspended fish mm-hmm. around docks that other people miss because they use too heavy a stuff. But a, you know, a light jig and a light worm, they are heck to use, I can tell you that. I mean, you'll have a lot of, if you use braid, you don't have near as much trouble. But if you use monofilament or fluorocarbon, that stuff you just can't skip with. Not very long. You can for a little while, and then the first thing you know, it gets jumping off your reel. And, and it just frustration, that's all. Sure. Uh, that, I mean, anybody can do it. Uh, anybody can fish like Dion or Guido. Anybody can. It's just a matter of being hard-headed enough to learn how to do it. And then you'll, you'll have a ball, I promise you. Dock fishing is overlooked. I mean, it's done more now, but it's still overlooked because it's frustrating for people to do. Well, in, in our last closing minute, what about color? You know, when you, whenever you, you, you named off kind of your go-to baits, how right. do you break down your colors that you're seeing? Well, green pumpkin, watermelon, black and blue. If I ever see a black and blue crawdad under a rock, it'd probably scare me to death, and I'd ever, never eat another fish. But black and blue, black with blue pinchers, is without a doubt the number one big fish catching bait that, that I've ever used. I mean, I've I've won more money on it, and so has other people. You know, maybe they don't tell about it, but green pumpkin, watermelon, watermelon red, black with blue painters, chartreuse pumpkin. I mean, a lot of times the water gets a little off-color. Chartreuse pumpkin works good. Basically does it. Well, and, and one last question before uh, we have to get out of here, you know, is, you know, after fishing for all of these years, does it ever get boring or do you ever no, just no i can't wait to go again you know that's uh we we drive our tails off we we just left fort loudon over here in tennessee which you know there's more fish in the gravel boys arm than there is that whole stinking place as far as i'm concerned <laughs> but we left there and drive our tails off to get home so we can go fishing here on a good lake uh, you know lake of the ozarks the best lake in the country as far as i'm concerned but they have these little three-hour tournaments at night if you don't have 18 19 20 pounds you cannot win, yeah. and that's in three hours. Yeah, and you, you, you better have your spots picked out. <laughs> yeah, it better be yeah, go time. Right. Well, Guido, unfortunately, we are out of time, but uh, thank you so much for being part of the Edge and uh, wish you the best of luck in the rest of your season and uh, look forward to talking with you. God, I appreciate it. Anytime. Thanks. When I think of Guido Hibden, I think of one thing. What do you think it is? 
Well, uh, I would definitely have to say dock fishing. Yeah, and you and you know what? The Spooks, man. He was one of the guys I remember first talking about them. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. And well, and and the thing about Guido is, of course, we limited it to just specifically talking about docks, but. You know, the guy is, is just a machine, and, you know, when I asked him that question, you know, he's, I think he's 61 years old, uh, does it ever get old or boring to you? And he said, absolutely not, you know. He loves getting up every day, and now, you know, obviously with his, his grandchildren being involved in the sport, uh, he has a great time. And, you know, he, I'm glad he pointed that out because there is a difference between floating docks and stationary docks. There is, there is. And, you know, one of the things that, uh, that I've noticed even in my personal fishing is that they, they seem to, because of the floating docks, have that capsulated foam or even just the old uh, traditional styrofoam, the white stuff that, that kind of flakes off. A lot of times in the summer, you know, those fish like to get right up under that, uh, seek out the shade, kind of that uh, security of having that overhead canopy above them. Plus the water, you know, can be a little bit cooler under there. But main thing is, is they like it for an ambush and it's easier on their eyes. Whereas the stationary, on the other hand, still provides the shade because you have the walkways, you know, there's going to be casting down shadows and the boat lifts that are in, inside of those. But uh, he notices that, you know, chances are they're going to hold a little bit more relative to the poles and the vertical structure on those corners and, and be nosed into those. Well, and not only that, the floating docks have so much different volumes with them with the amount of foam that you never know where, how much water you really have under there. Exactly, and, you know, that's one of the, the reasons why when I asked him, you know, are all docks created equal, and he said absolutely not. You know, one of the yeah. things that he likes is, you know, kind of focusing on those docks that are close to the point and that. But main thing is, obviously, he you know, grew up and resided in a place that uh, had numerous docks, which was on Lake of the Ozarks, but he, he fishes docks everywhere he goes. He never rules those out, and just the ability to take that spinning combo rod and reel like he does, no one else that I've seen is, is as good as what that man is, but he can literally skip, like skipping a rock, into corners in between the, the cracks in the foam and really get that bait into areas that other people can't. Yeah, now what, what's with the yellow line? Well, and, and that's a good question. You know, that's something that, that he changed uh, to here, I'm, I want to say maybe last year. Uh, I'm not exactly sure on that, but I know it was a fairly recent change. But uh, throwing that braided line because of it not being any stretch. And he, he likes the yellow because he can see it when he's making that skip and knowing when to lift up his rod tip right before it actually hits the water. But the other thing that he does, because the first question is, okay, doesn't that yellow show up, obviously, you know, in clear water? And the answer is yes, but like he said, he takes that marker, marks a lot or a Sharpie or something, and runs up and down it on the first 10 or so feet and really camouflages that line uh, so that it's not as visible in the water. Well, I tell you what, the man's a legend, and, you know, it just needs, like I said, the neatest thing for me there is just to see the whole family doing it with generations. Exactly. All right, man, we got to take another break. I can't believe it. It goes by so quick. It does. It flies by. Yeah, and I believe the Inside Edge segment's up. And is it Dr. J? It is Dr. J, Dr. Fish, the man behind the curtain. All right, well, folks, we're going to let you talk to Dr. J, and we'll be right back right here on The Edge. You've got the truck. You've got the toys. Now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both. It's the tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. You want options? Select the ball size, adjust the height to level the trailer, or stow it out of the way in just seconds. It's 10,000 tow and pounds worth of durability, convenience, and the latest technology that has made B&W famous. The tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. Call 1-866-BEST-HITCH. Welcome back to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge. 
All right, welcome back. We are in this week's Inside Edge edition, and joining us today is Dr. Fish, uh, the man himself behind the curtain, Jay McNamara. Jay, how are you doing? Good, Aaron. Nice to be here again. I understand that some kudos are in order, that uh, you basically were in the hunt uh, between you and Governor Huckabee, from what I understand, for the Southeast Outdoor Press Association keynote speaker, and you are now in that position. Well, we're looking forward to that. That's going to be in September. It'll be a lot of fun to be down in Gatlinburg with the Southeast Outdoor Press Association Conference. Yeah, that'll be good. Good time. Well, we're going to hop right to it. Today's topic, I'm more or less going to put you on the spot. And, you know, we spend a lot of time here on Bass Edge uh, television and also on the edge talking about uncontrollable variables. And there's something uh, really that is impacting. I don't care if you're at the elite uh, FLW touring pro level all the way down to a grassroots, you know, recreational angler. And that is the cost of fuel right now. What is your interpretation on how that is impacting individuals whom are uh, having to pay those prices and try and run their boats and, and operate and be able to fish? Well, it's clearly a constraint, one that people haven't seen coming in some important respects. You know, fuel prices continue to go up, and uh, not a lot of people thought that was going to happen. And certainly um, they've gone up to the point where they do have an inhibiting uh, effect on a lot of different people. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, when I think about it, Jay, it, it has to change the way that perhaps a lot of us would approach a body of water. You know, do I make the long run? How much practice do I allow for myself? Or do I have to cut my trip a little bit short if it's a recreational trip? You know, because all of those things add into the price of fishing. Exactly. Well, you know, Aaron, it's a lot, like a lot of other uncontrollable variables. There are realistic constraints that they provide, whether it's bad weather or broken equipment or the high price of gasoline, but you can also take that uncontrollable variable and look at how this, you might use this to your advantage. Uh, so in the same way that uh, bad weather might force you into to stay in one area of a particular lake that you might not have otherwise stayed in, the high price of gasoline might cause an individual to uh, look more carefully at near-term destinations for a, a fishing trip, or it might make them focus more intently on one or two areas of the lake rather than using a run-and-gun approach and trying to cover uh, 20 spots in a day, fishing three or four spots much more thoroughly in a different angles and forcing yourself, in a sense, to learn in greater detail those areas that you do fish uh, might be a positive side effect of the higher gas prices. Well, you know, one of the things that I'd like to get your feedback on this, you know, when I look at it, I always like to try and do exactly what you said. Somehow put it or frame it in a positive concept because it's not going to do us any good as anglers if we're out there thinking about, oh, my gosh, you know, I've got to go put $5 a gallon gasoline in my truck or in my boat. Absolutely not. Um, if that's what you're thinking about, you're not going to be thinking about fishing. So you need to decide before you go uh, how much you can afford to spend on gas today and how far does that allow you to go and what's your range for today, and then have that as your today's limit. Just like every other trip is limited by gas and expenses and distance uh, in one form or another, this is just uh, perhaps a tighter limit for people. But you recognize that, and then you work within those limits. Well, and, you know, one of the things that I look at is we just got done finished talking with Guido Hibden. You know, he, he's on the topic of docks. I mean, think about just, just looking at, the, kind of framing it within those, uh, I guess, parameters there is that you can literally learn a lot more by taking your time and understanding whether it be docks or whether it be vegetation or something like that by what you just said. Well, I think that's exactly right, Aaron. If you take somebody like Guido Hibden, who fishes docks exclusively, 
he knows more about dock fishing than the vast majority of anglers. And he can pick apart a dock with his spinning outfit, and he can do things in terms of getting fish out from underneath docks that most people can't do, primarily because he zeroes in on that. And so that would be a perfect example for somebody that feels constrained by higher prices of gas fishing. What does staying in one particular area suggest you could do in terms of expanding your technique range, trying different things, experimenting with different baits or lure presentations or casting angles, and staying in one area rather than moving to somewhere else? You know, tying that back into what you had, something you had said earlier, even if we have to reduce, let's say, cut a day of our practice short or cut a, a trip short, really by, you know, we talk a lot about fishing pure or fishing in the moment. That is exactly what you're allowing yourself the opportunity to experience. It is, and I think it gives you an opportunity to think differently and think more creatively and be willing to learn new things no matter what it is that you're doing. I really am, was happy to be associated with uh, Guido Hibden in this particular podcast because um, Guido won a tournament last year by switching out the kind of line he's used for dock fishing after using the same setup for years and years and years and years and years. He switched over to yellow braided line and uh, won a, a big tournament. And, uh, you know, if uh, somebody that's been around the block as many times as Guido Hibden has can put aside what he's used for years and years and years to be successful and now try something different, um, that's a good lesson for all of us. Oh, no no doubt. And he actually even mentioned that. He takes the, the marks a lot marker and colors the, you know, 10 or 12 feet of, his, of that yellow braided line, but that allows him to be able to see the line. And... and that versatility and, and willingness to change, uh, there's, there's a lot to be said for that, and he certainly has the record to prove that. You know, one, one last thing here in our closing minute. We talked, and you speak of in your book, about, you know, mapping out the plan, the goals, kind of laying out your year. Is this a time, a point in time, we're, you know, six months through the year, we're into the uh, middle of July now. Do we need to go back and revise that based upon economical factors? Well, it's certainly one other thing to take into consideration when you uh, do your mid-year review of your goals and objectives. You want to look at how you've been doing. Are you meeting your objectives? Are you exceeding your objectives? Where are you falling short? What things might you change? And certainly one of the things you can look at that everyone should look at every year is what is the expense. And if uh, gas, traveling to uh, fishing spots or traveling to tournaments, um, gas for your boat while you're on the water is becoming prohibitive, then you need to make some decisions there so that you don't get to the end of the season and wind up overextended. We know at you know amateur levels as well as at professional levels that the cost of gasoline that you haven't anticipated can close down your options. Well, it's certainly all good stuff, Jay, and unfortunately we are out of time, but uh, definitely look forward to our next time here on The Edge. Any closing thoughts? Well, Aaron, you can uh, always find the book on BassEdge.com. Click on Shop Bass Edge. And uh, there's the Psychology of Exceptional Fishing, and uh, I'll look forward to next time. Fantastic. And uh, what about an email address? jay.drfish at gmail.com. Be glad to answer any questions that people have. Thanks, Jay. We'll look forward to next time. Okay, Aaron. When I'm fishing in a tournament, time is critical. I need fast, easy access to my lures. My Cook's go-to tackle system keeps my bait organized, tangle-free, and within easy reach. It installs in minutes under any deck lid, maximizing the storage space in my boat. And its durable construction lasts even through the harshest conditions. Get organized with Cook's tackle system by calling 1-888-390-8780 or online at cooksgoto.com. 
Welcome back to The Edge. All right, welcome back to The Edge Outdoors. Dan, Aaron Martin back with you. And that Dr. J, even he's on the fuel price. You know he is, but I, I loved how he tied it back into, uh, um, you know, you can't be worried about it. He talks about in his book, has talked about numerous times every time that we've had him here on The Edge, that you can't be uh, worried about things that you can't control, and it's kind of those uncontrollable variables. And, you know, just by making that, that simple adjustment, not only to kind of your budget, but also just your fishing day and, and your fishing calendar. And really now is a good time to go and do that. Kind of, you know, we're a little bit beyond uh, mid-year, but it's certainly good to go back and look at your fishing plan and your schedules and, and make sure that you can at least remove those psychological worries out of your mind. Yeah, I think we should just all go to an electrical bass tournament. <laughs> there you go. Hey, uh, float tubes are looking better all the time. Huh? Hey, a lot of stuff going on. What's up with the Bass Edge merchandise? Oh, you know, um, they're constantly, we, we've got uh, Walter and the gang, man, they're, they're rocking and rolling on there. We've got some, some new stuff that's came out, uh, shirts, and, and of course, you know, the widgets, the technical widgets, and then we've got the Ar- all the Arden gear and uh, keel guards, all that type of stuff. So if you haven't looked at that in a while, make sure to check that out. But, you know, we're also going to be doing a special deal for not only our podcast listeners, but also our e-newsletter subscribers, where we will be doing some uh, promotional codes and some things like that just to reward uh, our listeners and readers there. Um, so we're looking forward to that. Well, that's exciting. So yeah. you're kind of like doing a bundle deal. Yeah, yeah, kind of like that. Yep. Well, that's pretty cool. Exactly. And then uh, the other thing is, you know, uh, we're pretty excited about just the new edition that started uh, in Ju- the first part of July with World Fishing Network, WFN. Yeah, yeah WFN. Yeah. Hey, you got a question, and it's from Stephen in Fort Meade, Florida, right? Yeah, yep. Stephen uh, sent in a question, says that uh, he states that he lives in central Florida, and he fishes about three times a week. His overall goal is to be a professional angler, and he knows that uh, this is obviously a big dream, but he constantly studies all aspects of fishing, trying to be better uh, at his knowledge. You know, at this point, he thinks that the best thing for him would be to go fishing uh, with someone and try to pick up some knowledge from you know, like a guide or a pro, says he has a ton of questions about lure presentation, patterning lakes, uh, tournament strategies, etc., and wanted to know if we know of anyone in Florida that could help him out. And uh, you're in luck, Stephen, because actually we do. First off, thanks uh, for being part of the edge and sending in the question, but congratulations, you know, really on identifying a goal. And uh, I think it's great to, to have goals and have dreams, and I think it's certainly, uh, if you put your, your mind and your heart into it, uh, you can certainly do that. But speaking from experience, there's no better time uh, really to pursue your, your passion than the present, and I wish I would have uh, started at your age. But I would suggest calling uh, Pam Martin-Wells. Uh, she's an angler that we've had as part of Bass Edge on Season 2, and then also we're going to have her back in Season 3, basically fishing uh, down on Seminole next year. But uh, WBT angler, she also has a BASS Classic Victory and, and guides on Lake Seminole. So um, I'll get you that information sent out to you. But uh, make sure that, that you stay up to date with Bass Edge because we will be announcing a little bit later in the year uh, some unique uh, on-the-water learning opportunities that we're going to be coming out with. So in the meantime, thanks for everything, and thanks for your support, and best of luck to you. Hey, there you go. And, folks, if you want to send in an email question, just remember, just go to uh, BassEdge.com and go to Ask the Pros section. Click on there. And as Aaron said, everything will be pretty much uh, self-explanatory and be taken care of uh, for Absolutely. you, right? Absolutely. All right. And don't forget iTunes. If you have uh, not seen the iTunes, we are on iTunes free. Or two, really two ways to get the podcast every week. You can go to iTunes or you can just go to BassEdge.com 
and download it there. Is that correct, Mr. Martin? That is correct. So, And are we still getting ratings? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and thanks to everybody who's sending those in. And if you have any thoughts, uh, feel free to, to post those out there. We love hearing uh, feedback and, and kind of what your thoughts are. All right, the newsletter, the e-newsletter is out. If you haven't got that, it's free. Get signed up for that. And uh, before we get out of here, you know, I, I can't, I, every time I flip on WFN, World Fishing Net, you're on. <laughs> I don't know what you're doing, but uh, you're on like eight times a day. Uh, it's not quite that much, but yeah. uh, no, we, we are fortunate enough to where we are on every day um, more than once. And so anyway, if, if you have Dish Network or uh, Verizon Fios, uh, by all means, go to WFN.tv on their website and check uh, local listings there. All right. Well, there you go. Now, who's on the show next week? Who's on the show? We've got uh, coming up string competitor Bill McDonald, and uh, then we're going to have Bob Lusk, uh, which is the fisheries biologist and also editor of Pond Boss on fishing high water. All right. Well, for Aaron Martin, this is Outdoors Dan. We need to get out of here. We'll see you all right here next week on The Edge. Bass Edge would like to thank the following sponsors who make the Edge audio program possible. Ditch Witch, Mother's Waxes and Polishes, B&W Trailer Hitches, Megaware Keel Guard, Cook's Tackle Management Systems, Ardent, Rule the Water, Legend Boats, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Superstar Batteries, and the Clarks Hill Partnership of Georgia. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com. Be sure to join us next week on The Edge.